Yo, welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, John Solo. I'll be talking to touring musicians, artists, producers, engineers, and crewmen all around the world. I'm interested in knowing what brings people to this crazy lifestyle and how music became their passion. I, for one, have spent most of my life in front of a keyboard and continue to learn and understand why it is I do what I do. I feel honored and privileged to have worked and become friends with many of the guests on this show. And for those of you who don't understand what hotel life is about, you're listening to Late Checkout. I have Brian Griffin here uh, in my studio in Brooklyn. And uh, he just came out from L.A. Just, you live there now, right? Yep. How long have you been in L.A.? About a year. I sort of started bringing stuff there about a year and a half ago. And hanging out and Airbnb out there. Oh, yeah. Moved into a house in August. All everybody's moving out there now, right? Yeah, chunks of people. <laughs> chunks. Yeah, it's not everybody, but it's you know, through there's just people that you know through the touring stuff. Yeah. How do you feel like like Do you feel like it's um? Do you feel like LA's been a better move since you've uh, uh, compared to New York, or is it? I like the foliage. Yeah, oh man. The weather, you can't beat the weather out there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the best weather. So far, I mean, I haven't done the like full summer yet. Oh man, oh that's right. So, yeah. you know, it's funny to me when I lived there, I, I guess I was there for like almost two years. Mm-hmm. Summer doesn't start till like, I feel like September. Like all of the summer, like I was on the west side, so. Yeah. Oh, it's. June and July is funny. It's like they call this thing June gloom. Have you heard of that? Uh uh-uh. uh. It's like kind of uh, gloomy all through June, July. It's still nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But like September and October just become incredible. And I, it might be because we're so used to New York and yeah. the East Coast when it starts to really get shitty then. But to me, man, those months were just like, oh my gosh, I'm in L.A. now. This is happening. Right. And it just never stops. You know, in the December, January, yeah. you're like, you never know what's going on out there. Right. Which is kind of cool. But It's been beautiful. It's rained a lot in the last like six weeks mm-hmm. and so there's all this like green grass and flowers everywhere it's pretty yeah it's pretty beautiful so where are you living i'm in silver lake like yeah. the northern part yeah nice yeah live with a couple other musicians some touring who folks. are they brandon walters and ann williamson they play with rachel yamagata and oh yes that's uh, right. and brandon plays with lord huron Yes. And uh, she's about to do this run with Princess, which is the Maya Rudolph Prince tribute. No thing. way. Yeah, which looks awesome. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Are you guys all kind of always on the road? Well, yeah. Yeah, it seems we, we overlap sometimes and not other times. And nice. Whatever. Nice. Yeah, and then next door is one of the other Lord Huron guys. That's cool. They're a cool band. Yeah, definitely a cool band, cool people. It's, it's great. I feel really fortunate to, like, sort of slide into a little bit of a community out there. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I found L.A. is kind of clicky in a lot of ways, and it's hard to find, like, it, not very many people as opposed to New York, They there's not just this big hang, like, you know, where everybody kind of knows each other, and if you just kind of move out to L.A. and you don't have any connections or even, like, musicians yeah. to talk to, it can get really tricky right, right off the bat, but... Um, it's good that you, you're living with musicians and working, so you're not always there at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that sort of helps, and I've heard people say that about LA, too. It's like, the best thing you can do is just not be there all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, but see, it's amazing, but just just have a reason. Very similar to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. Yeah. Which I don't think I did enough over the, you know, I guess in the early years in New York. I mean, I was here for a good 16, 17 years, and I'm still back every other week. Yeah, man, you're here a lot. Yeah, but... You know, I didn't have money to like go on trips per se back then before I was like touring a bit. But <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. Well, let's let's start. Uh, like, uh, how did it all begin? When did you start playing drums and? Or why did yeah, you it all started in Jamie's van, dude? Yeah. <laughs> Draining tanks like back tanks. in the day. <laughs> so yeah. Side note: John Solo yeah. and I first cut our teeth with van touring <laughs> with the. Uh, Inimitable Jamie McLean. You played Jamie McLean band. You played last night, right? Yeah, we just played last night. It was awesome. Nice. But anyway, just logging lots of miles up and down the (laughs) East Coast uh, in the in the Tordor Red Ford van. Oh my gosh! Amazing band, and I'm super grateful for all those experiences, and still am. I'm learning all this stuff from Jamie and just from touring all the time. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the quick recap of my thing is I, you know, played drums as a kid, starting age nine, and. 
my parents were amazing to provide, you know, a drum set for me and private lessons all through middle school and high school and stuff. Started nice. starting like fifth grade, fourth grade. And, uh, you know, I went to college and I was like, well, I can't be a musician. I didn't know any professional musicians. So I like got a liberal arts degree in Virginia. And then after I was like, well, maybe what if I just went to music school for like two years? Oh, really? And then, and then I'll go live the straight life. <laughs> what was your like main degree in college? Anthropology. Anthropology. I mean, I was trying to find anything but music. Like, can I do anything for a living besides music? I would t- I, and my and you worst- chose anthropology. Well, I was just, I was just <laughs> there. But I'm like... <laughs> I mean, I was taking classes all over the board, you know, and back then there was this notion, I don't know if parents still talk like this with their kids, but there was this thing about like, oh, you know, a liberal arts degree is a good thing to have as a backup. I don't know if people still talk that way. And and by all means, I'm really grateful for the education that that I got and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I spent most of my years in school in the music library, like listening to Miles Smiles and all these like 60s whatever, Duke Ellington records and stuff. And then I was in rehearsals all the time and the jazz band rehearsals and then trying to sit in at jazz clubs, yeah. but trying to get a major in anything else besides music. Cause <laughs> I wasn't, I, it wasn't connected in my mind that that's how I was going to spend my life career wise. Yes. yes. That's how I was spending every spare hour of the day. I got a, a job in a record store back then and I was just like buying CDs like crazy to just, and you just so I was just a singer. Were you, what style of music were you into like when you first started? Then, I mean, when I first started, I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved the police and mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. But uh, whatever classic rock was around and then Santana with, with my like early teacher, this guy Mike Spramuli, he turned me on to like, you know, Chick Corea, Steve Gadd and Dave yeah. Weckl and all that stuff. So like some of those Latin rhythms for drums, like I started to hear that in Santana records and stuff. I was like, oh, it started to make a little bit of sense. And then, uh, and then, you know, in high school playing in jazz band and then in college, you know, I studied with this, there's this great trumpet player named John Durth and he's just this great teacher and mentor to so many musicians in Virginia. And there's so many people who've gone on to amazing careers after studying with him. He's this monster player. He was in New York a lot of years. He played with Eddie Palmieri and uh, just did some amazing stuff. And um, he, uh, I don't know, he just sort of, I don't know if I was necessarily such a like bebop guy, but because he was so cool and that was his thing, that's what everybody ends up doing because they want to impress him so much. Yeah. So I ended up going to Manhattan School of Music after, which, you know, I feel like I slid in there. There's so many students there that were even undergrads that were just like yeah. playing circles around me. But Is that mainly a jazz school? Completely. The year I went was the year it changed over from the Department of Jazz and Commercial Music to the Department of Jazz. Oh, they went the uh, they were like, we're going further yeah, back. Yeah, they were going like the we're direction not of like Wynton Marsalis, like, like be- making it as legit sort of um, American heritage. What was that, music. like 2000? Yeah, I, my first was Fall of 99. I did like a grad degree from Fall of 99 to 2001. Yeah, I remember around that time, like uh, I graduated college in 2000 um, in Seattle, at Cornish yeah. College. Yeah, right, Cornish. And, and then, uh, yeah, and uh, when I moved to New York, uh, moved summer of 2000, they were saying um, Juilliard was just starting a jazz, first ever jazz program that right. Wayne Marcellus was heading. Right. And he was um, looking for students uh to start the program and somehow i got in that somehow i got in there i don't know what happened i um i ended up getting like an audition they had like four people try out for it and i I didn't get it which is fine with me but um uh yeah and it was like this whole thing like oh we're changing the conservatory of new york so that must have been around the time manhattan school of music was like we're gonna have a strictly jazz one strictly juilliard jazz I'm sure there's like grant money that starts to show up. That's probably what it was. It's like, oh, you're playing less funk music and you're making it about yeah, traditional it was, jazz. Like, I bet money starts. To it's show funny up. how that happened because, like, I thought, I thought most of the schools were actually going the other way. They were like, you know, like around that time, Berkeley and had the MPC 2000 beat making class was really the curriculum. I just felt like yeah, I just felt like that was the time when things started to change in other schools and then those schools were like, no, we're gonna go further back. We wanna take it back to stride piano and uh, start there and it was like, man, I don't know. To me it wasn't my thing. I don't know how it was for you, but being around that serious jazz program. Yeah. It it was fun and I was into it because you know, so many of the players that I was around and inspired by the students and the teachers were really into the post bop thing. Oh yeah, oh man. Like friends of mine were starting to put bands together with like 
Tony Malaby and Tom Rainey and some of these like serious, you know, free jazz and post-bop New York players who are, you know, this like, you know, of the, the generation of the downtown music scene type players. And, and, um, and it was inspiring and I was working on that music a lot and I think, you know, I did as best I could and <laughs> I was into it. And, and like this, almost like the second I graduated, I just started playing like in rock bands with friends of mine who were bringing me songs. and. Although I still practiced jazz then for a bit and still do on and off a bit and listen to it on and off, <clears throat> there was something that struck me about this friend of mine who, who was like, well, I just wrote this song on a guitar. Let's try to play it. And it was like, oh, here's this fresh idea he had. And he's like, let's just play it. And it's like, oh, you mean I don't have to try to refer to Philly Joe Jones to like yeah. play your song? I can just be me. And, and it was refreshing, see, right? It was refreshing to just be like, well, here's, we're just having a conversation. We don't have, it's not like I'm trying to cram all this I curriculum. Fully remember that. I had yeah. that exact same experience when I first moved out here. It was like I started making uh, beats and, and other yeah. styles of music with yeah. other guys. And I was like, wait a minute. I can do whatever I want. You can like, do whatever you want. I don't have some guy telling me I didn't do it right. Yeah. Like, it was well, cause, like cause we already still <laughs> had that in our head. Exactly. <laughs> it was still there, like just beating us down for years yeah. of like how shitty you are. It's like you have one less person telling you you're doing it right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's such a good, it's so, it was liberating for me. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I want to play original music, like people yeah. that we write. And yeah. I don't want to play what other people did already and make me feel like I'm not worthy, you know. Right. Because right. it was fun. It is fun trying to learn that style. And I, you know, I don't know about you. I still practice jazz all the time I mean mm -hmm. I'm constantly trying to like mm -hmm. figure it out and get inside of it and mm -hmm. I got this Bill Evans transcription right here that I've been working cool. on still like uh, I can't believe I can't get away from it like yeah. but I, I don't ever go out there and like and, and, and pursue that as what I want to do right. for a living anymore yeah it'd be fun to play every once in a while I just yeah. there was just so many other things I found myself interested in right after I finished school which is like oh I should get really great at learning how to mic things up. How do you play towards bigger sound systems and bigger rooms? Yeah. What drums? What drum sounds? Can I get really good at playing along with loops and clicks and all that? Because we yeah. definitely didn't do that in school. They no. actually they kind of discouraged playing with metronomes. Really? Yeah, it was like, visit one every once in a while to learn what your tendencies are, if you're rushing or dragging too much, but, but like, don't become metronomic. Well, that is very much the jazz thing. It's, it's a looser yeah. feel. It's, it's yeah. less... Like, yeah. uh, it's less about the steady pulse more right. than it is about, like, um, right. a feeling. Because there's a lot of, like, it's just like classical, I mean, a lot of ebb and flow. You, right. you go, you speed up, you slow down, you just go right. with it. It's more, like, I guess, quote, artistic. Yeah, like it, chamber music kind of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, let me get this. So, after you graduated around, what, 2001 or so? You're just, yeah, from Manhattan. From Manhattan. Yeah. Where, where did you go next? And then I was just here. I moved into... <laughs> On the Dean Street in Brooklyn, oh, and the famous Dean Street. <laughs> I lived there for eleven years. I saw a lot of changes and stuff. They eventually put in Barclays Stadium there. there. But uh, yeah, and then uh, I was touring with this one band. You know, we we're just doing like occasional gigs at Mercury Lounge, and we would play. Like, what band was uh, that? This band called Smith House. It was like a long time ago. I haven't talked to those guys in a long time, but you know, we were like sort of into Weezer and the Pixies <laughs> and stuff like that, and just playing like cool guitar rock, the cars, whatever, you know, nice. I, was, I was really into it. And you know, if we were lucky, we'd get a Mercury Lounge set, because that was like such a hot room then. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, listening to like the Jeff Buckley record, all that sort of stuff was really big then. And um, and then and then for money, so we had like, we were temping or stuff to pay rent. I had like a temp job at Broadway and, and uh, Houston Street. And then we met this like booking agent who was like, all right, if you guys learn a whole night of covers, I can just put you to work on the Jersey Shore. They're like, well, all right, that'll fund like a trip to get down to Virginia and North Carolina and play bars down there playing our music. So we do like Friday, Saturday in the Jersey Shore doing a couple of those gigs. Not great at it. There's bands that slay that Jersey Shore cover band thing. Yeah. They've got the full personality, yeah. costumes, yeah. and the, the attitude, and you know, the tongue sticking out. And yeah. Whatever, you know, just like jumping on the PA, the whole thing. Yeah. It was definitely not us. <laughs> we were like more like your college geek rock. Geek rock, you know, yeah. 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 But but it was just like a cool experience, and like even once in a while, I, like I even just sat in with a band out in L.A., uh, recently, and they're like, "Oh yeah, do you know this song?" It's like, I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> I what want you to like want me. No, no, it was like you know, like, like cheap trick or whatever. It's like, yeah, of course, man, I know that. Hey, it's all like, that stuff you we learned, did it so many times, like fifteen years ago, or whatever. It's just like it kind of becomes muscle memory, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Anyway, that was that was sort of how that worked, and then uh, you know, and all bands sort of whatever. You know, New York stuff. A lot of people like don't stick around or don't stick around in music forever. And there's so much about. I'm sure we could get into this a whole other podcast. Oh but, my god! But it's really just about sticking around, and then it and is. then your environment changes, and suddenly you're playing with new people who have a new project, and then. And then that changes, and then if you just still keep doing your thing, you'll find something else. Exactly. Know? I mean, how many times have, I mean, I've changed styles of music, I guess. I don't know. It seems to never stop. It's like, yeah. I go from one genre yeah. and really get into it, and then also yeah. I'm into this other genre, and I stick around that for a while, and then yeah. something else comes out of nowhere, and, I, yeah. and, I, and then I'll go back even, and, and I... You know, bringing it back to jazz college, which is, yeah. which, which can, I think was detrimental to any musician is that they kind of put you in a box they're like look yeah. if you want to be like if you want to sound like John Coltrane then yeah. you're going to have to just live this lifestyle forever you're going to have to be bitter <laughs> broke <laughs> you're going to have to just listen to like nothing past 1968 right. you know what I mean and after a while you're kind of like you know damn I don't really want to just yeah. I don't want to just live this life you know and, and yeah it just doesn't feel right no and, and so like playing different styles and leading yeah. to different people has actually been really fun and, and yeah. actually made me a better musician because yeah. of it not a worse one like yeah. okay so I'm not the best jazz yeah. pianist in the world you know i don't really care about that anymore you know i got to do it's within this jazz world there were some of these players there are some that are definitely breaking new grounds but but it's always within this post bop yeah thing. and i and i it just the way you just said this reminded me of this like you mentioned nothing past 1968 i got to do this great workshop kenny werner the piano player, oh, yeah. this workshop called the band the band international jazz in, workshop in, in or something canada. Like that. in canada yeah, yeah. In alberta canada it's amazing just to go that whole area is amazing it's in the Canadian Rockies and you go there for three weeks and you're just playing with different musicians all day long There's yeah like workshops Joey Barron was there Joe Lovato oh, was there Joe was Baron. this bass player Johannes Weidenmuller mm -hmm. was there it was great and uh, anyway this trumpet player Dave Ballou was there and Tony Maui it was like insane there were so many great players that you get to play with all day long and, and we're, there was this one session you know it's like every two hours you're in a room with a different combo of people and you're just playing and this and Dave Ballou I haven't really seen him much since but I, I just remember him being this great guy an amazing trumpet player and someone called a tune and they're like alright what should we play and then there's somebody called like oh why don't we play Solar and Dave Ballou goes yeah we could do that but you know let's play it like it's the year 2000 oh nice and it was you know I know that sounds dated now but like then <laughs> yeah 20 years ago <laughs> man. 20, but I just remember being like yeah right let's push let's push this like okay we're playing these instruments upright bass you know an acoustic piano a jazz drum kit and a couple horns but it's like let's be forward thinking about this and let's not be 100% you know stuck in this mold of so you went right into like a boom interpretation. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was my idea. It's like here's a Daft Punk version of the uh, yeah. In the 90s, I remember like, you know, I had like a like a Medeski Martin Wood fake trio, like I played yeah. the Wurlitzer and I had, yeah. a, had an organ on top of yeah. it and uh, you know, it was a trio and he played acoustic upright and you yeah. know we thought we were so cool we play we play like solar but like dude let's do it like a funk beat yeah. you know i'll put a wah pedal on the world yeah say. yeah awesome yeah hey, it was cool and b we thought we were so original I, exactly. I was like wow this hadn't been done before oh yeah it was 30 years yeah. before in the 70s they were yeah like, yeah Herbie <laughs> hancock might have <laughs> and then yeah not only did he mind that but it was way better sounding because i would put on thrust and back then yeah. thrust was like a total like hard record to find you right know? I yeah and i remember when i first got it i threw it on i was like whoa i am really bad at this <laughs> like this yeah. is this next level playing that they already done 30 years ago i was like okay um maybe Maybe, maybe I should find something else. You know, yeah, but, right. But yeah, so anyway, after that uh, workshop, what happened yeah. then? So, yeah, so I'm playing with this band. You know, that was when I was in the, like, in the middle of uh, Manhattan School of Music. Yeah. And, and then, you know, fast forward a couple years after that, I'm like temping, playing in bands just like van tours, what, you know, East Coast, whatever. And then I played with this band called The Navigators. They were a great band, sort of like you know, the acoustic side of Neil Young, or, you know, kind of both sides of the Neil Young thing, like, you know, Southern rock, great country vocals, kind of political lyrics, and uh, that band was sort of half based in Louisville and half in New York, so we were sort of gunning back and forth, doing midnight drives to Louisville a lot, and <clears throat> it was a fun band, eventually that band fell apart, but met some great people through that, and... Um, was, that a, was that a van tour 
Van, oh yeah. <laughs> hotel? Uh, yeah, occasional hotels, sometimes crashing on floors, you know, occasional festivals. We got to do like the Strawberry Music Festival out in, uh, where is that? Like Mendocino? Yeah. Or, um, California and like Sunvolt was there and Bale oh, nice. was there and stuff. And that was like one of the earlier times that I got to play like, oh, this is a festival with a big stage and cool artists coming through. Yeah, like a monitor engineer dedicated <laughs> yeah. to you on the yeah, side. Yeah, 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 golf cart rides and the whole yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to the stage. Yeah. First time that happens, you feel like such a rock yeah. star, right? <laughs> yeah, and then after that band split up, I had this like interesting phase where I wasn't playing in any bands. And, and none of these bands I'd play with were really that visible in New York. We were always like trying to work hard to get out of town and you're saving your New York fan base for the like twice a year show. So I felt like I was only playing in New York like twice a year. Otherwise I was just in a van all the whole time. Man, isn't that funny how that works? So funny. Yeah, yeah, New, York, like New York is totally like that. Yeah, and, and then of course the musicians I learned with, you know, at school, they're all playing like post-bop only, exclusive. So I wasn't playing like wedding gigs with them or anything. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't interfacing with people I went to school with. Whereas maybe had I gone to Berkeley or New School or something, there would have been a little bit more of a continuation of the community I'd been with in school into the working world. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah the, so after the Navigators, yeah, I found I just got all these teaching jobs. Eventually, because of the touring thing, I stopped temping because I was gone a little too much. And then, uh, and then I found all these teaching jobs, just teaching private lessons and teaching percussion at community centers. And I was teaching like six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. Westchester, oh, I remember New that, Jersey, actually. subbing for a friend to take a train to New Jersey, take trains to Larchmont or Mamaroneck, New York, or uh, teaching the Lower East Side at the Henry Street House. They had like stuff there. There was another program I did on Saturday mornings in the South Bronx where you were teaching kids to play on buckets and oh, hand drums yeah. and stuff. And, and it was why, yeah, just con I was just trying to pay rent, but yeah. you know, it was fun to at least be hired to do something musical. And I met some cool musicians through that. I met that guy Rob Heath through that. He and I oh, did some yeah. of that. And uh, and then I got really fired up about Brazilian music that whole time. I just like got this bug and um, was listening to music all the time and found some teachers in Philadelphia who I could study like Pandero with and they turned me on to some great records and eventually I just went. So I went to Brazil. I was like, screw this. I'm working seven days a week and all of these music programs have the same school vacations. So there was so like twice a year there was like 10 days off where I didn't have any work. I'm gonna go. Wow. So I just booked like a hostel. Didn't know anything about Rio, and I was like, "Well, why don't I just go and get my feet wet?" And I went down there, and then some people hooked me up with some teachers and players who play in samba schools, and it was like the coolest thing. I'm like running around like a New York idiot trying to. There was this moment where I was like taking cabs, and I'm on the payphone down there. I didn't have any cell phone down there or anything, and I'm like trying to hook up with these teachers and using broken Portuguese that I learned and all this stuff. And then one day I was just like running around like just the way I was running around New York and I stopped and one teacher didn't answer the phone I just hang up the payphone I'm like alright what do I do next and I just sort of turned around like oh yeah there's a beach here <laughs> <laughs> why don't I just chill out and have a coconut juice yeah. <laughs> you were trying to like you were trying to meet uh, Ayrton down there <laughs> yeah, whatever. you're just like run, you're just used to this New York like running around the rat wheel all yeah. the time oh, man. it took me a second to be like wait I'm an adult now I can like have a vacation for yeah. a day <laughs> at least, yeah. you know? So anyway, that was fun. I went, I went there a bunch and made some great friends down there and took some great lessons. And, and that part of my life hasn't really congealed with the rest of the music I play, but every once in a while I get called for like a commercial session or something where they need some of that and I bring in all my instruments and play some samba and it's really fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And I sort of informed, you know, the way I sort of... I, I, the way I approach stuff, it's like, you know, all that music is just so dance oriented and if it just doesn't feel right and it has such a wide beat because so many drummers are playing it, that, I don't know, I feel like I try to emulate that. Mm -hmm. Did you but, feel like you learned a lot? Uh, I mean, as you were doing this Brazilian music, did you yeah. feel like that helped with your other styles or whatever you got I into? think a little. There's like moments of, you know, when I'm trying to get into playing percussion along with drums or whatever, or just how there's this, like spe specifically in samba music, you know, like I got to go to a couple rehearsals of these samba schools, which is just such a mind-bending experience. There's 3,000 people there, and when the conductor blows the whistle, they play samba straight for 80 minutes, and they're playing their song that they're going to do on the floats down the carnival. Wow. Parade path. Because they're all competing. Like, samba is a sport, you know. Oh, and these is. teachers told me, they're like, here's the thing about samba. It's a, it's a total sport. The person that wins is the one who plays it the fastest, the loudest, and the cleanest. 
And that's literally it. It's <laughs> that's like, all it is. It's like their version of like drum corps playing or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so soulful and the swing is yeah. so deep that I don't think of it as that kind of like yeah. mentality, but it has that. Yeah. Anyway, there's like 500 drummers and a thousand dancers and singers and cavaquinho players, which is like their sort of version of a ukulele. And wow. as soon as that beat drops, after that guy blows the whistle and 5,000 people start singing and playing this music, you just start crying. It's like wow. the most thunderous optimistic powerful sounding thing and I looked at my friend who's Brazilian and she saw me and I was just like shedding a tear and she's like it's not just you she's like we all feel that whenever we hear that every wow year. it's just this powerful thing and you know for me I, I got to play with some Brazilian musicians when I was in Manhattan school we were playing like samba jazz and it was a great electric bass player and a great tenor player I used to play with a bunch and they would try to describe oh how do you play this Brazilian feel and they're like yeah you're getting better at it and once I actually started to learn the actual percussion instruments of samba, I was like, oh, it all comes from here. Yeah. Like, oh, bossa nova, or, you know, these pagogi things, or all these different styles of music. Once I saw the parade rehearsal happen, and you see all these guys from whatever villages, and they just play, the one guy plays the snare drum, or, the, or there's like 20 of them, and they're playing the same snare drum part, and there's 20 guys playing this instrument called the hippiki, and there's other guys playing the big sordo drums, which is these huge, you know, metal-tuned like floor toms yeah and all those guys just come out from their day jobs they come at night they like slug a tall boy a beer and then they just like pound out this beat so fast and so loud for 80 minutes straight it's just like oh this is where it's all coming from yeah any of that music you ever heard that's like brazilian influenced it's like the epicenter of that is this samba thing that it's like it's a hurricane it's crazy and it's not like those people like sat around and practiced all this they're all, like they're just like oh we're gonna play samba music they just know how they to. just know it. it's just around them. Yeah. it's in their blood and yeah they, like my friend down there would say she's like if if we could find a way to put five percent of the energy we put into samba into the government like this place oh, would be man. like this place would be like the most efficient amazing country. it's like american and the yeah. america americans in the nfl yeah and um, there, you know, everybody's got their... Maybe it's the same with sports families here. You know, like, your family's got your team. Like, I don't oh, know, yeah. we're all Giants fans. Or of course. So there, that's the thing with soccer teams, you know, football. They've, the family's got their team. And, like, you can't have one of the siblings ditch and say they like that team. Like, that's just a no-no. Yeah. But similarly, they all have their Samba school that they root for. Oh, like, really? Carnival. They're like, oh. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. It's, yeah, yeah. So after this, this is what, like mid-2000s? Like? No, yeah, this is like, um, that would have been like 2005, 2006, exactly. 2007. I call that mid. I don't know, yeah. is that even right now? Mid-2000s. Like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> what's mid-2000s? Yeah. In the, in the aughts. Right. The mid-aughts. Um, and then like, before my last trip to Brazil or something, I was just like walking around Brooklyn one night. I was going to my friend's house just to like hang out for a second. And I remember checking my voicemail. And I got a voicemail from Jamie McLean saying, hey man, I think yeah. playing. We met one night a couple weeks before at the Mercury Lounge. And I was just at the Mercury Lounge with Jamie last night. And I, I was just like, bro, cheers. We met here 10 years ago, man. That was 10 years? 10 years ago. Oh. And the first gig I did was with you guys at, at uh, we were opening for the Dirty as a Brass Band at BB King's. Oh, and, my With gosh. Derek Lays on bass. Oh, yes. And so, and I remember just checking that voicemail. And hearing, and I'd already knew, known about you guys, because I, I, I knew Carter McLean. Yeah. So Jamie, terrific, unbelievable guitar player, singer, songwriter, yeah. bandmate, front guy. He's yeah. like the most terrific human. Yeah. His brother, seriously, insanely talented drummer, who has a chair at Lion King, is an amazing studio drummer and all that stuff. Carter was the first drummer at for Jamie's band and then and so naturally, I guess naturally. They, had mo they had like multiple bands together yeah <laughs> and then uh, and then and then uh, and then Car Carter wanted to stay in New York and not tour as much and I just remember hearing this voicemail from Jamie and I'd already seen the tours you guys were doing I knew the bands you were opening up for and he's yeah. like yeah and I knew you guys were busy and Jamie was getting all these great gigs yeah it was and I remember just hearing this voicemail before I even called him back and I was like I just felt a switch I was like now we're getting back into band stuff oh cool because I, I hadn't played in a band a couple years and I just knew this is gonna be a thing. That was funny because I remember. I actually remember that like yeah. odd, quote unquote audition. We were yeah. like, we were just new. We were yeah. like, we were like. He was like, I met this drummer. He's great, and I was like, cool. Let's just. I don't even know what he sounds like. Let's go. Because we. Because like we, we tried. We had one other guy that like Carter met. Like he. I, think I he, forgot. Yeah, I didn't mean to say that. I wouldn't necessarily. Uh, like I was already gonna get the gig, but I just knew it's like. Yeah, oh, it was on. Is, 
I was like, okay, we're back in a drum set and American music, yeah. like rock and roll. Yes, yeah. even if it's just for an audition, like, yeah. oh, I can turn this part on. And I remember just like starting to listen to that music again and yeah. getting into new drums. You were into it, like, yeah, I was like, all right, we were listening to Stax records all the time. Like, yeah. all right, how would Booker T and those guys to handle this music or these grooves or you know any of these great. And then we just stuff. jumped in that van. I mean, jumped in that van and logs out. And so for the listeners out there, John Solo. <laughs> has this unbelievable ability to just crank out eight, ten hours behind the wheel without <laughs> I used to have that ability. Yeah. Although, you know what? Man, well, like, I remember like catching a full night's sleep in the back and you, and you would just roll. You just sort of laying back in, that, in, that, in the driver's seat and just roll, listening to Sports Center or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, oh man. I don't even know how, like honestly, well, you know what? We were all a lot younger and yeah. much more hungry. I mean, not yeah. that we're not hungry now, but it was yeah. just a different type of hunger. It was yeah. kind of, it was new. Like, I mean, I have to say some of the funnest times I've ever had were those tours. So fun. Like, oh, yeah. for some reason, I, I actually think fondly... Dude, you should on, come out. It's still fun with Jamie. I know. <laughs> I, would love, I would love to. Uh, yeah. But I do remember that audition, bringing it back to that, like, on, I think it was Rivington Street down yeah. in that weird little basement. Yeah, yeah. I was just walking around that block. Yeah. Yesterday. That first... There was like roaches everywhere. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? Oh yeah. my gosh, Infe yep. infestation of yeah. cockroaches. Oh yeah, that's standard. Disgusting. You like don't even, why, why is it you're just like, you're we're just, just like, like, you're like, yeah, that's normal. That's cool, yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave our gear here. Like, like <laughs> oh so cool, weird. the kick pedal works? This place is awesome. I know. You're like looking around, you're like, oh man, it's got power? There's one speaker with a little microphone. Okay, yeah, it's got a PA system. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But I do remember like first song, you had like I, I fully remember your your snare drum your your backbeat was just really solid to me and it was like okay yeah you were feeling a groove which I'd wanted been I wanted to feel from a lot of people at that time like and we just hadn't found it I mean we had Carter but then when he left it was like we went through a couple of guys that I just they were like they weren't professional musicians or they didn't take it seriously they weren't really going for it as mm -hmm. hard and um, the moment like I heard it I was like this is good and then. At that end of the first song, um, you you were like, Jamie was like, you, you asked, is it too loud? And Jamie's like, too loud. <laughs> I just remember that like being like, we were like, are you serious? It's never too loud, dude. Because <laughs> we were so loud back then. Yeah, yeah. He was, Jamie had like the, uh, oh yeah, he had the yeah. twin and the deluxe at the oh, same time. Yeah, I the had, double like, amps. The oh, it was ridiculous. Like why? Okay, big floor toms. I've had this conversation with recently with with a couple of older musicians or, or more experienced. I should yeah. say is like as you get older and more experienced, you actually play a little bit quieter in a lot of ways, or I do. At least. Yeah, like I'm trying to. Yeah. I don't know how that works out. Like it's like in the beginning you feel like you got to play so loud and so much stuff and then after a while you're like oh i can actually kind of bring this back a little bit and kind of play more to like the room or what's going on around yeah, I imagine it's just like you know you don't know where the ceiling is till you've touched it it's <laughs> like, we were well, touching that it's, ceiling it's, like when you're practicing jazz all the time they definitely don't want you to even look at the ceiling <laughs> you know so it's yeah. just like oh can i refine my technique to make it a, you know and the thing is we're saying loud but it's fun to use the word full. It's yeah, it was more because of full. Because we're trying to get a really good tone. Yeah. And you're trying to be <laughs> make it sound big and warm. So it wasn't about being shrill, necessarily. Really? <clears throat> but, yeah, there's, there's a thing about dynamics, too. <laughs> well, I just remember a couple of those games. We'd yeah. be playing in a room, and there'd be, like, six people there. <laughs> we'd just be going full volume. Like, full, full tilt, yeah. <laughs> just going for it. Like, Jamie would just be, like, just yelling, just, like singing so loud and his guitars were loud and we were yeah. just bashing out my organ I was playing like always like the top, <laughs> the top octave yeah always loud with the Leslie on that was just what I always <laughs> did it yeah. didn't as soon as we started playing a song there was no like building up to a chorus it was just yeah. loud yeah it was just full yeah it was fun though I kind of I mean we did so many gigs I mean man it was like what three or four years of that right yeah it was a while it was, it was such an awesome experience and still is I, I learned so much because you're just able to Jamie's just been this amazing you know, band leader, where, where I've just been able to try so many different things. He's yeah, always he's bringing open. new songs to the table. He's really open to collaborating. He's bringing in and, your own songs. And as well. he's always. But this is the most amazing thing. If I ever try something different, his comment is, "Yeah, more of that." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He never is telling me, "Oh, that's too much," or "Oh, you should lay out here." Which, yeah, you know, there obviously great music can be made by making those kind of calls too, but. He's always just been so encouraging, and so you know I've been able to develop all you know try different drums and sizes and beats or percussion instruments or whatever. And he's like, yeah, fair game. Let's 
So we've sort of been able to like reinvent ourselves. Again and you've probably like you you developed your. I mean, I feel like you have from when I first met you to where you are now. I mean, we all get better, obviously, mm. but like I, your drumming, you were always good, but I did notice like. A certain improvement from when I saw you playing with the Lone Bellow, which maybe I'm going a little ahead, mm-hmm. but like, um, it was like maybe four or five years later too that I saw mm-hmm. that. And I was like, whoa, okay, you've been you incorporated more like percussion, and you were always going, going for all that stuff. Excuse mm-hmm. me, you're always like trying to build up, not just play standard beats or yeah. stock beats or whatever, yeah. but like you were, uh, you were always trying new stuff, and and uh, we were doing that that. That boat cruise. Oh yeah, the, the uh, yeah. The we were, we were on a cruise ship a couple years ago. Yeah. It was really fun. This band Train was running. It was called oh, Sail Across the, the Sun. Oh my gosh! And John train. Solo and Jamie it was amazing. They were on the boat with Brett Den. Yeah, a really cool band. And then I was on with this band that I played with a couple years called the Lone Bellow. And so we, I, did you yeah. meet them through? So after Jamie, I mean, I know you're still doing it now, but there was yeah. a progression there. You went somewhere. Was it Lone oh. Bellow? Was the next band? I, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I always trying to pick up with any bands I could, but Jamie was like definitely the most consistent, you know, touring and stuff I've been doing. And yeah. and uh, he, you know, we played with this great bass player named Ben Mars for a bunch oh, of years. Oh, yes. And Ben, when he first moved to New York and then we started playing with him, he introduced me to Zach Williams, who's the, the sing, one of the singers in the Long Bellow. Oh, nice. And then Ben and I made a record with them. And then, you know, about a year or two later, they eventually started tourings. And, you know, it was a good, kind of a good opportunity for me. We, like, did the Jay Leno show. and That's when you started yeah, getting Yeah, we opened up for, yeah. We got to just, we just got on some big tours. Like, we got to open up for some people at Red Rocks. And yeah. did, like, the Craig Ferguson show. Yeah. And, you know, I, a bunch of those TV shows. It was really fun. Jimmy Kimmel, was, you know, and I'd never done any shows at that point. So that was fun to see what that world was about. And yeah, and, and playing in front of bigger crowds. And, yeah. And, and bigger, just more excitement. <laughs> Just, yeah. it was starting to feel a little bit different at this point right you right. started to feel the uh, yeah the and that band's interesting too because it, it's like you're sort of orchestrating a bit more there's a lot of moments where you're laying out on drums or you're trying to make something speed up or slow down and you're trying to follow these singers on, on their path rather than like you know with Jamie's music it's like you know, so rooted in New Orleans and soul music and Ray Charles and funk music stuff that, which it really has a really solid tempo dance bass to it mm-hmm. you know all these classic grooves like great yeah rootsy american music as opposed to following singers on their whim around which is a little bit more like maybe classical music or broadway or something and it's just another skill to try to yeah to learn did you feel it was it was difficult to make that transition i don't i don't never i wasn't ever like crying in my sleep <laughs> no you you just like you know, I, I, there's this guy named Doug Yole, an amazing musician here in New York, yeah. and every once in a while, you know, he, he's been this great mentor to me at certain points, and uh, I'm super thankful for him for that. But, you know, there, I remember once or twice calling him about, like, oh, you know, gosh, these tempos are changing on this gig, and I'm trying to hold them back, it's, you know, or whatever. This stuff's making me sound like I'm a terrible drummer. I can't even watch some of these YouTubes because it's like the tempos are just shifting, and he's like, embrace it he's like maybe you're going to learn to be the guy who can just follow these singers around and, and you'll have that in your in your bag of tricks as well as being the one who's got a really great time and all that and he's like that's there's all sorts of really good advice it. because there's yeah. there's that's it's an opportunity what you might try to initially reject is like oh this isn't correct or whatever it's like well or you could be the guy that nails that thing and that's the thing that puts food on your plate exactly and then you just learn another skill set yeah it's, not, it's just looking at everything from a, another from that angle of just you know gratitude and like maybe there's an opportunity here to learn something i mean this kind of brings it back to what you what you said you started with with it's like you know you were in jazz and then mm-hmm. you were into brazilian music mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're like in a singer songwriter and mm-hmm. and then uh, blues and roots and funk and now you're working yeah. with a, a singer mm-hmm. that's all over the map and you're like mm-hmm. okay how can i do this it's like you yeah. kind of like i feel like being a musician you have to be so you have to have many different skill sets. Like yeah. you can't. It's not just playing music because like yeah. anybody can just get good at one thing. It's like right. it's like well, how do you get along with this person? How can you? Yeah. I mean, we could get in a little bit of that. Like, you know, a lot of touring is actually the the friendships that you build yeah. with people that actually right. become kind of a lifelong. Right. I mean, to me, whenever I do a tour with somebody, it's like you just have that connection with them. Right. Like for the rest of your life. It's yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. and. Um, that alone yeah. is a huge skill set it's, to be on the road true. and to stay employed. Yeah. That's a big, big part of it. Yeah, which I guess is maybe what the, some of the focal point of your podcast is about, which is like how, learning how to 
live this life of just being yeah being a utility person for for these touring enterprises and and you know? working with different artists because we know yeah. we they're all so different yeah. you know yeah. there are like musician artists where you like I've heard Cheryl Crow is a, is very much a musician yeah she's an artist but she's the cat she's like spent time yeah and, and I've heard working with her is very much like working with a musician and, and I it, saw her show a, like a month or two ago and she did this this uh, like promo show at the Troubadour and I got a ticket for it and it was amazing yeah I, I'd known her music and she works so hard on stage. She's playing whirly. She's playing harmonica. Yeah, she's, she's singing, incredible. She's dancing. She's getting all over the stage. Yeah. Playing bass, playing guitar, everything. Yeah. It was cool. Well, it's neat to see somebody. It's like, yeah, there's no way you're just a diva if you know all those instruments. Like you put in the hard work. Yeah, yeah. You exactly. slugged it out playing bar gigs, and I can tell you've learned. But it's yeah, it was cool. I mean, I, it's I it's not way. like I think also part of like wanting to be a musician and like doing it as long as as oh is even we have at this point like yeah. you know we're not we haven't done it forever but you know to stick it out even yeah. for as long as we have it's it's more than just like like what like how do you feel your relationship with music is right now mine yeah we're getting along <laughs> <laughs> but it's a tough question right it's, yeah, it's one of those questions you're like wait a minute it, i haven't really thought of that like because yeah. it's just you're doing it every time you're doing it all the time yes I, sometimes i feel like i'm so inside it that you don't even see that you're in a relationship exactly. with it. Yeah. you're like oh i could do something else i don't know i'm, ba- I'm bored but it's just like the thing that still grabs you every day mm-hmm. and it's the thing that i end up talking to people about and I don't even know how to talk about anything else. Yeah, it's like anymore. we're almost like crazy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat insane. Like, wait, what are you doing for a living? Like, it's funny to talk to somebody outside of the, mm-hmm. outside of this world. Uh, yeah. When I go back home, uh, I meet like my brother's like in-laws and stuff. My brother's wife, uh, yeah. her like in-laws. They're like, well, what do you do? And I say I'm a musician. And they're like, oh, you know, our son used to do that. But, you know, you can't make a living doing that. Yeah. And I just like got off tour, like yeah. you know, and I was just sitting there thinking, like, man, they really jumped to an assumption right yeah. away. They just straight knocked me down, and they didn't yeah. even know anything about me, saying, "Oh, you can't make a living out there." And I was like, "Well, actually, yeah. you can't. Yeah, Believe this, it or not, you can." Yeah, there's this right. There's this whole segment of of the working world that are, are you know, let's just call it support staff. You yeah. don't need to be a movie star to make it in the movie biz. Yeah. You, like, you've ever seen the credits at the end of a big movie? Oh, yeah. There's thousands of people on yeah. the payroll. You know? Exactly. And I, I think it's the same for musicians. If you're up for being flexible and and learning about any kind of music, like, there's work for you. Yeah. Well, that that's the hard part, too, yeah. is, like, knowing that, like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even want to really touch the business side of it because yeah. we know how difficult that is. And we, yeah. could, we could talk about that for right. days. But, like, um, it is difficult. Let's just say that. Um, yeah. But I want to know, so after Lone Bellow, what, yeah. what led you to Brandy Carlisle? So that was from uh, just one of the one of the runs we did, is we did like 24 nights this one summer opening up for her. 24 nights. Something oh, like that. Or, you know, it was like a summer tour. We did like maybe 20 nights or something. You know, over like two months or something. It was on and off. There were breaks in the middle. But she just put us on her summer tour opening up. She really loved She heard the record. I don't think she'd met anybody in the band yet. But she heard the the Lone Bellows record that we did, and that you know Ben and I got to play on and stuff, and and uh, yeah, it was just cool. And I didn't know anything about her. I'd heard her name from some other people, and just the first night I saw her, I was like, oh, this is this is really good. She's an astounding singer, and the band's cool, and I like dig the songs. And she just seems to be open on stage. Just her personality's open, and yeah, the audience is really into it. And I like the rooms they're playing. They're playing these cool theaters. And yeah, she's a big artist. Yeah, yeah. She's headlining Red Rocks. I was like, oh, wow. That's Some, someday I'd like to get a gig like that. Yes. <laughs> and Next you know, thing you know. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's like whatever. You know, I just feel fortunate. She approached me and said, oh, would you like to maybe record a little bit on the next record? It's like, Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so that was really fun. How did she do that? She call you or email you? No, she just sort of mentioned it one night in the middle of the tour. She's like, "Hey, I'm really enjoying watching you play. Do you want to maybe just cut a couple songs?" Oh wow! On this record, and so and then uh, yeah, and then so they flew me out and we were like rehearsed a, a little bit. It was it was a kind of a cool way we made it. She said, you know, over the years of her making records before, they'd always made all these demos. And of course, you know, they sing so great. She and the twins, Tim and Phil Hansroth, they play guitar and bass. And yeah. They're co-songwriters with her, and they sing like Art Garfield. Those guys are like beautiful singers. Mm-hmm. So when they sing demos, the demos are unbelievable. And what happened was is they end up 
when they were making records with Rick Rubin and T-Bone Burnett and stuff, was that they were trying to beat these demos that were already amazing. So for, for the record I did, it was this record called The Fire Watcher's Daughter. She spent like a year, you know, they all spent like a year working on songs and intentionally not demoing them because they didn't want to have that demo-itis thing where the demo sounds better than the expensive record you're working on. Exactly. So, so they invited me to, we flew out, and they, what they wanted to do is just, they hadn't even learned each other's songs yet. We sort of just sat up in her cabin there, set up a little drum kit, and they had some acoustic guitars and stuff. And they were like, all right, let's try this one. It kind of goes like this. And, uh, and they turned on, just like we're doing now, just put on like a, an iPhone on a stool and put, turn on the voice memos, whatever. And we would run it, and someone was like, wait, how does that bridge go? And they're like, I think it goes like this. Okay, let's try one more time. And then they would, we would sort of goof it. And be like, all right, how does everybody feel? And, and I would say like, oh, let me just do one more. And I think we've got it. And she said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and we did that for a couple of songs. We never actually nailed the song when we were just getting together. They just wanted to see what my instincts were and just see how wow. the song sounded. And then she said, we're going to nail it on tape. You know? oh, so the idea was is we'll go in, you know, maybe six months later, we went to, went to make the record. We, that we would just start from right from where we left off six months before, have that song go again, and hit the red button. We're just recording, and we just do take after take while we're learning it until you nail it. And then everybody knows in the room and you nail it. And then you do a couple takes after that, and you're starting to get a little stale, and you just back up and just work with that take. And they were doing all vocals and all their harmony vocals live. Everything was live. All nice. in the same room. That's incredible. It was really fun. It was a great experience. We did it with this uh, these two producers, you know, sort of co-producer engineers. Uh, Ryan Hadlock, who worked on that Lumineers record, yeah. and um, and Trina Shoemaker, who's unbelievable. She's worked on like Queens of the Stone Age records, yeah. and she worked on like the Globe Sessions, that Gerald Crow record stuff. She's a great, amazing engineer. <clears throat> wow. So that was a lot, really a lot of fun. And then fast forward like six months after that, Brandon's like, well, so you want to tour this? Or yeah. And it was you know, and and, uh, and it was time for me to like find another thing anyway, and. This is just ended up being great. That's you know, amazing. And, at, and, and side note, didn't that record get nominated for a Grammy, right? It, it did, yeah, which is fun. Isabel won it, but yeah, yeah. Isabel, yeah. That's Jason pretty incredible, won, man. Like, to think, it was like, fun, I know. It's just, I just feel so fortunate that, like, yeah. because of the way I play or whatever, she just was feeling that for that record. And, yeah. You know, I, yeah. Just you telling Very me the story, you know, yeah. I was like, as you were saying, because I already uh, obviously knew about it, but I was mm -hmm. thinking, man, what a story to just like, hey, I'm thinking about doing some songs or maybe, mm -hmm. and you're doing it and to, to flash forward maybe a year and a half later, like, hey, yeah. this is up for like uh, a Grammy for a best album, yeah. or a folk album or something like that. Yeah, American yeah, yeah, American, yeah. That's cool. incredible. What an experience. It was fun, man. Yeah, I, was I was really, so I was really pulling for you, man. I was uh. like, I was, I was hitting you, I believe that day, like, what's going on? Like, I want to know, like, this is my crew. Like, I won one too. You win one. I win one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all winning this together. Yeah, this is our Grammy. Yeah, yeah. It's like when they show the like, you know, when someone wins World Cup and then there's cameras in like the whole the home <laughs> village in Brazil and everybody's like, exactly. I was fully, I was fully tuned into that the whole day. Yeah. And, uh, um, it was a fun experience. That was that was neat seeing the Grammy thing. You know, so but the part they don't show in the Grammys is there's a theater across the street from the Staples Center where they go through all of the awards that yeah. they were televised. They only actually present like eight awards on the televised show. Yeah. And they have, you know, whatever major star play it. It's more of a concert. Yeah. But the but the theater, you know, before, they're going through every award, like best engineering on a classical album. Yeah, I saw that. Best yeah. opera, uh, you know, whatever, interpretation of this. There's yeah. A, it's very specific Spoken words, spoken right, word, comedy albums, children's albums. And, I know. That's how you like, and they, and they have like a you know huge uh, screen, and they're in the, in the background, so they're showing photos of the artists that are nominated, and they're playing clips of the music, and, and then there's a couple performances. Yeah, they were really great. A couple people sang and played, and um, oh, that guy who was that the really young young jazz piano yeah, player, yeah, the Indian Joey, kid. Joey something, Joey, yeah, he's he incredible. It's awesome. That kid is like blows Out, my mind. I, I, outrageous. Every yeah. time I'll, I'll throw it on every once in a while just if I want to get depressed. <laughs> it's like really. I can't think of his name right now. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. he's, he's, I mean, there's a lot of incredible yeah, talent coming out. Yeah. Blowing me out. Like that one kid, uh, Jacob Collier. 
Oh yeah. From England. Well, I mean, it's What's just the, mind blowing what he's yeah, doing. He, yeah. yeah, I was watching some of his videos the other day. Yeah, his right. vocal. I mean, everything. He can play anything, right? Which is incredible. But then his singing is just like it's like a laser beam. His intonation. Right. I just don't even understand where he comes from. Mm -hmm. And you know that's cool. Like <laughs> we're not all that blessed. <laughs> some of us actually have to work for it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, what, what's going on now? Like, so after Brandy, uh, you did, I believe you did some, play, you, you played with David Gray recently, right? Oh yeah, so, it, well, so, you know, Brandy's thing has been awesome, and it's been sort of like a two-year record cycle for that record, and that just wrapped yeah. up last fall, and then, uh, you know, this is like an off year, you know, a couple one-offs for her, but I have this, uh, this great friend, Tony Shanahan, who I met through Stuart Lerman, the producer that we all worked with and made one of Jamie McLean's Yeah, records. yeah. And Tony uh, is like co-owner of this studio in New Jersey called Hobo Sound, really cool studio in uh, Weehawken. And um, you know, he, he, he and I played on some session for Stuart like a while back and we just sort of hit it off. And what does he play? He's a bass player, oh, nice. uh, mostly, but he's also a keyboard player and arranger and songwriter. And, and he's been uh, Patti Smith's um, like right-hand man and arranger and bass player for, I don't know, 20 years or so. Whoa. And uh, But he's just thrown me on uh, random things every once in a while. Like, he had me come in and play on a record for this guy named Jack Henderson, this great British songwriter. And um, just, you know, every once in a while something comes up, he just calls me for stuff because we just sort of hit it off. It's like, That's I don't know how to describe it. He, it's just, you know, the first time <laughs> we played together, I think he was playing like a Hofner and it just, everything just sort of clicked. I don't remember what the session was. It was for some little demo or something. Anyway, so yeah, I'm grateful for that. And he's, he's thrown me on some really cool stuff. One was, he's really old friends with David Gray, and David needed a quick, uh, just for one day, just needed a band for the Jimmy Fallon show. I need a New York band. And now, I'm in LA now, but Tony's like, yeah, can you just be in New York for this? And I was like, absolutely. You know? Yeah, of so, course. So, you know, I flew in and just did one rehearsal with David Gray. And, and uh, this guy Andy York played guitar. He's been uh, John Cougar Mellencamp's guitar player for a long time. And, and this, um, uh, what's his name, Andy, uh, keyboard player, plays with John Mayer, and he also plays with Cindy Lauper. I can't, Andy, I can't think of his last name right now. Anyway, the band was awesome. Yeah. It was fun to work with David. You know, we rehearsed for like two hours, just rehearsing the one song, the, uh, the Babylon song, and yeah. then like a week <laughs> later, just went in and played it on foul. It was really fun. Wow. Yeah. Two and a half or two hours of rehearsal. Yeah, song. <laughs> I, you know, you think like everybody learns the song at home, and then you go in like we're just learning this one song. But there was real specific stuff that we that, that he wanted we, to get. That he wanted to get out of the band, and you know, tempo wise, and getting keyboard parts really like. Was he set. involved with it like musically, like more than you would think? With I mean, song? I feel like some artists you work with, I work with, they're, they're not very like. Oh no, they're not hands on. They're very like. Oh, you know, he was really specific. Very okay. Yeah. And it was interesting, he mentioned with this song, I never heard this before, just an interesting little anecdote. He said with that song, you know, for those of you out there listening uh, who know that song, the ba you know, the song Babylon by David Gray, it was a big hit maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago. He said there's actually no definitive version of that song, because every time that song jumped a radio market or a radio format, somebody wanted to remix it. Wow. So he said there's something like 18 versions of that song. It is crazy because I think I googled it that one yeah. day and I, and I found so many different yeah. like versions online and stuff. Yeah. I didn't really understand what was going on. Yep, he said somebody always was getting nervous, like, uh oh, we're going to AAA radio. Like, the label said, well, we better remix that because let's bring this the music guitar out more or something. Yeah, <laughs> and, or be new instrumentation or a new or, or let's chop that second verse. Maybe that should be shorter for this one. Wow, that's so weird. So so he made sure to send us like, the specific MP3 that, and then and then sure enough he's like, yeah, yeah, not that version. So we even changed it on the rehearsal. Or <laughs> so it was like an but endless really song. specific, you know, you know, are we going to do it with the drum loop or how are the keyboard parts going to go and. That's Andy awesome. Burton, that's his name, Andy Burton. And Andy nailed, like, talk about, you know, what we're trying to talk about, like, how do you be flexible and be yeah. a side guy? Most of this rehearsal was about getting these keyboard parts, and, like, after I heard all the different keyboard parts that David wanted out of the song, there's, like, a low synth part, there's a, a piano part with a delay that's in octaves, there's a pad part, there's another piano part that's a lower bass part, and they all are coming and overlapping, there are all these overdubs. Mm -hmm. And he would just say, yeah, can I get more of that one? And Andy said, yep. Oh, can you do this thing where it's octaves? Yeah. Like, yep. And he, and just with his Nord or whatever, he just knows that keyboard so well. He was able to get every single sound out of this one keyboard within one second. So, yep, I got you. Yeah. 
I was, I was amazed. It's like, wow, this is this is your world, right? This well, yeah. Deal. I mean, it's also. I, I mean, I can orchestrate a whole thing just on one stage piano, right when the singer wants it immediately. Oh yeah. Oh, I get asked to do stuff sometimes, and I say, "Yep," and I'm like <laughs> over there moving knobs, not knowing how to do it at all. Yeah. Just, but I'm yeah. like, uh, just something work, please. Yeah. Like you know, like. It's kind of like that Wrecking Crew documentary when yeah. when I think that it was the guitar player. Uh, I don't remember his name on there. Where he said yeah. like, uh, he was like, "Hey, could you make it sound more like a cello?" And he's like, "Oh, cool!" And he would just reach over and do a fake knob turn or yeah. and pick it back up. And, and I think Lee Sklar said he had yeah. a fake knob installed yeah. into his bass. <laughs> but you know what? That's definitely yeah. part of it is yeah. uh, being on the fly and doing yeah. whatever you want and. And just knowing your trade, knowing yeah. your skill set, knowing with the piece of gear you have, whatever, just knowing exactly. Knowing it inside and out. And just being so flexible. I keep know. like this Profit 12 over here, I keep looking at it all the time, and I, I bought it thinking this, you know, I know how to use sense. That one is extremely complicated. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think I'm going to get a Profit 6 for the road because. Oh, no. Is that what this is? That's a 12, oh, which 12. is like really, it's an amazing keyboard. Does that mean like 12 oscillators? What's the 12? Uh, it has yeah. four oscillators. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. But it's yeah. just. I don't know, it's just the flagship. They have, you know, they have the, the five, the, seven, the yeah, six, yeah, yeah. the eight, or whatever. Um, um, but yeah, in general, I was like, I need, when it comes to synths, that's the one thing, like, I'm more of like a piano, keyboard, organ guy. Yeah. Like, Rhodes and put some pedals on it. And yeah. That's me. Right. Since I'm still, like, I can, I, I've gotten a lot better in the last few yeah. years, but that's the one thing I need to get into that world. Because yeah. I, I, man, there's some keyboard players I see playing that just, they're so incredible with it. Yeah. And I just need it. I feel like I should get into that world, yeah. you know. But anyway, so what's going on? Like, you're in town. Yeah. You're going to Italy, right? Yeah, I'm flying to Italy tomorrow. Okay. So Tony Shanahan put me on a seven seven dates with Patti Smith in Italy that starts in a couple of days. How, okay, that's incredible. I, I yeah. love Patti Smith. How? What's it like learning her music right now? That's been a lot of fun. She, uh, you know, I, I, I've known about her a lot of years. I've seen her twice. Uh, once, uh, my brother and I went to go see, my brother Kevin, he, we, he, we went to go see uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse at the Garden, and, uh, and Patti Smith was opening. And I didn't know her music too well, but I was just curious. Like, oh, what's this opener set going to be like at a, the arena? And, man, she just slayed. Her voice could just get so huge. Yeah. It's just so rock and roll. It's so New York and punk. I was like, that's awesome. Skills. And then I saw them again maybe a year later at the Wiltern in L.A. And same thing. She just like, mm -hmm. she just has the, but the audience by a leash. You know, it's it's amazing. And she would say I mean, she's seventy now, but you know she's such a New York punk yeah. icon. And yeah. you know, and, she, and recently she's written these books that have won won these awards and are bestsellers. And so you know, when he called us. Oh, this is a real opportunity. So, you know, I just read that book of hers called Just Kids, and just to sort of get inside her life a little and hear some of what she's talked about, about her, you know, her coming up in New York, you know, just... That's incredible. And it's neat. And then, you know, I saw this one interview with her on YouTube where she, I'm sure she was just being really humble, but she, she was saying, oh, you know, I don't consider myself a musician, I'm a writer. And in, the, in this book, she, she says that she was always a poet and wrote prose, and was always like making drawings and paintings, and that was her art form forever in New York. And yeah, she, her and Robert she's Maple a true form. artist from yeah. that era. Yeah, like, Renaissance like super Andy well read. Era, right? like, there was so much poetry, and and then um, and then eventually stumbled into being a, a front person for a rock and roll band. And she'd always loved rock and roll, and was like a rock and roll record critic, and did that for a while, you know. Anyway, so I just, I found myself, I was like, well, I'm going to learn these songs, and, and there's the way that, you know, we all learn songs, you know, you chart them out, and then you learn to play along the recordings, and then you try to memorize them, and get all the specifics down, which beat, or what, how does this section go, and make sure you just can get all those transitions totally cool, and all that. And, and, I, and I knew I was going to work on that, but I was like, well, if she's coming from this real literary place and lyric place, why don't I just find as many of the lyrics as I can, and print them out, and just have those next to the charts, as well as there's a couple pieces that are just these freeform poetry pieces where she reads and the band's playing this cool vibe underneath, either like a free jazz kind of thing or just like kind of this cool edgy punk music underneath while she's reading. And, and those, I couldn't find any of those poems online. So I just, I was like, God, I got all day today. So I just went through these YouTubes and just, and, um, and just transcribed all the lyrics and just wrote them out. Some of them are a couple pages long, just full poetry. And uh, one is sort of based on a William S. Burroughs poem, and I said, "Why not just try to 
at least read it, even if I don't completely understand it, just just to be around those lyrics, just to see what her vibe is about. It's just been kind of cool. So I yeah, really met her briefly good. once. That's that's good homework on getting a gig yeah. for sure. Yeah, like, yeah getting you know, I think you go on the extra mile, which is what makes a good side man is is learning how yeah. to to get inside these artists' heads, I mean, because that's what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, yeah. fortunately, I'm inspired to because I like her music. You like She's it, so yeah. important. Yeah, this yeah. isn't hard. You're this not like, a, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. No, I'm happy to do it. Like, how could you? How would you not do it? It's like everybody's already told me her books are amazing. And it's, yeah. It's, okay, I have to read an amazing book now? Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so that sounds like fun. it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I, I don't know, you know what it's going to be like yet, but uh, I've been really enjoying learning the music and the history of, of her band and all this stuff. Maybe you can hit me up when you get back. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we should wrap this up. Right. Really good talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No problem. I learned a lot, actually. I've known you for many years, and and to hear you just openly speak about it is actually really fun for me. Oh, cool. Right on. So, man, take care. Can't wait to check out the rest of your podcast. (laughs) Definitely, man. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you next time. All right.